I, especially when we're talking about something that is very much biblical-based, I like to build a foundation before I, before I hit what I am here to hit. And, uh, and, and I believe the foundation is important because if, if, um, if, what we, if what we say and what we teach and what we believe, the tenets of unity and new thought and metaphysics, if it doesn't rest on a foundation, then it won't do anything. If it doesn't rest on a foundation, that is logical. So that is sort of my modus operandi as I, uh, even, even as I write an article, or especially on a Sunday morning, too, when I share something like this. Uh, so we're talking about, the first slide here, uh, we're talking about the subject of grace. And it's an interesting one because of how it is used throughout um, in other areas of, because it's found in the Old Testament, so we would certainly have, have our Jewish brothers and sisters um, within that framework of the word as well. But interesting, it is found um, not that much in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the Old Testament. It's found 30 times used, ish, 30-ish, in, in the Old Testament. And it is only four times used in the Gospels, which, um, as I'm sure you might understand with me, that you might have expected it more within the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because it is all based upon the life and ministry of, of Jesus um, in the context that usually it is used within a Christian setting. It is used over a hundred times in Paul's letters. Paul had a fixation on the subject of grace. And he um, uh, wrote about it, he amplified it, he added his own commentary on it, obviously, and it was an important part of, 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 uh, his, of, his, uh, of his, uh, his ministry and the letters that he wrote um, to, to the various churches that he founded, the, the little groups that he founded. Um, uh, intermixed about equally is a reference uh, throughout the Bible and uh, about, about God's grace or the grace of God. Oftentimes the word in the Old Testament and some in the New too, it is used to just indicate a, that a person was, was full of grace. In other words, that they were a gentle, kind person. And that is the context that it was used. Or, 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 or I give my grace to you, uh, a kind of blessing. So there's a whole bunch of different ways of using the word in, as we find it within our, within our Bible. Um, so now the next slide. Um, grace is defined. And this is pretty much now as we find it within um, the context of what you might hear or read about on a Sunday morning or being taught about in, within a Christian church setting. Grace is defined in many places as something undeserved, you know, um, or as unmerited favor. You know, you really don't deserve it, you stinker, but look what happened, something good. And then I thought this is an interesting definition. God's willingness to save sinners. Um, 
So you, you can see that within this context, we have a very, <clears throat> in my mind, we have a very convoluted way of looking at the subject of grace and specifically God's grace. Um, the other uses of the word are, are not important in this context, but, but, uh, but in, those, in those contexts it is. So if something undeserved, uh, and that is how the, uh, the majority of people within a more, a, more, uh, a more traditional, may I use that word, a more traditional setting of Christianity, that is how they would look upon themselves as, as undeserving, as in uh, uh, all the ways that have been used to, to extol a greater, a greater sense of what that feels like and really what it means in, uh, in one's life. And, um, and, then, and then unmerited, uh, sort of the same thing. Uh, you, you know, I really don't merit this favor. I really don't merit this wonderful experience or something that has taken place um, uh, in my life. Uh, and so then how do I define that? Well, I define it then perhaps as God's willingness to save sinners, because obviously that is, you know, that's what I am, right? Huh? I mean, I'm not, and you aren't either, but within the other context of how we look at things, that is, that is what will be claimed. And it's almost a red badge of courage, you know, a lot of people wear. You know, I'm a sinner. Oh, oh wonderful. You know, well, yeah, yeah, you know, walk proudly, right? Um, so uh, that is underneath all of these things, and just to be aware of it as we, as we certainly unfold the lesson. Now, the next slide. Uh, uh, people, Old Testament and prior, but we, we just have usually within a setting like this, we usually just look at, look at that specifically. But certainly in the Old Testament era and prior and all the way through the Bible, what was happening was that people were trying to define the essence that we think to be, that we know to be God or source or energy with a capital E. They were attempting to define what we could say is the undefinable. And so they put that through the sieve of many different things that they couldn't understand as to why something was happening or what was happening. And uh, there must be a reason behind it and, of course, the reason behind all things, as they unfolded the experience that we today would call um, uh, the, um, the, the understanding through the life and teachings of Jesus, the, the, the essence of pure being that we call God. So it was always God's responsibility that something happened. It wasn't, um, uh, if there's something today that we understand to be uh, a fact of nature, you know, um, a tornado coming or uh, um, cl clouds bringing rain or lightning. It was all um, a conscious act of God. Now, you know that. But this is the foundation upon which then all the definitions had to come through as we bring them into how we use them today and how we understand them today. So this 
was always a, 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 a vision that nothing happened outside of a conscious act of God. Um, and so even, even back then, the goodness that happened in people's lives, if they accepted themselves as being a miserable sinner, then there had to be another application of something that was at work. Um, just so that in that context they could start to make sense out of it. And the thought of grace, of course, then was there and evident. So what was the God that they were seeking then to more fully understand, as the next slide would ask the question? God was mostly, mostly anthropomorphic. Now I'm going to make sure that you know the word because... Um, Sometimes people kid me about it. They say, I can't even pronounce it, let alone understand it. Well, anthropomorphic simply means a realization or an understanding of God pretty much in the form of, of maybe the person sitting next to you or a grandfatherly form or something, but a definite form. And often then, way back now, way back, long before uh, Jesus made the reference to God as being spirit, uh, but way back, of course, God in the anthropomorphic form was just up there and always uh, sitting somewhere and always doing things. So, and then, of course, as, as is today as well, there's a certain mystery about God. You know, uh, I remember when I was, when I was growing up, uh, there was a radio show, and, and it was called I Love a Mystery. Some of you might remember that. You don't have to claim that you do. Uh, but, but, but it was a, you know, you know, one of these weekly things that you, that you sat down to and listened. Uh, I think we did it as a family at one point because it was a very G-rated, benign, uh, but it was a, a show of interest. So God, God is a mystery. The essence of pure being is still a mystery in one way or form or another, um, maybe we can uh, understand it or at least have a way of, of realizing the concept of God in, through, and as us in a little better way. But you can't put um, uh, a, a box around, at least I've never been able to, you can't put a box around what the essence of pure being truly is or that which is the eternalness of the source that is God. So if we think that we have this asset of calling God a, um, something within a mystery experience, think what Old Testament people had, and on, of course, into the new. So this was the God that they were seeking to define in and out of. And also, God was capricious. Um, which means God changed. God could not be depended upon. God vacillated from one experience to another. Um, God was not dependable. God wasn't the constant. So in this capriciousness, then they had a real opportunity, a challenge to make things logical because you put a pin of logic over here, and then all of a sudden the essence that they call God somehow changed its mind, and over here now they were left with another conundrum, so to speak. And God was to be feared. Um, that's, that's, uh, you find that throughout Scripture. The, 
I mean, if God was anthropomorphic and really couldn't put your, you know, you couldn't draw a circle around it and it continued to be capricious, it was logical that you would fear that essence that we call God. It was uh, capable of delivering all the different kinds of things in, uh, in life and to do it almost as a conscious act because something was not pleasing to God. And of course, all of this, so that carried through. Letters uh, constitute the theology behind what many sense as grace. Paul's letters for most people. And oftentimes, it isn't even consciously realized that they are doing it. Uh, many people's whole religious uh, foundation is based around some of the early writings of Paul. Uh, uh, not the letters of the imprisonment that came toward the latter part of his life, where there's a little change in Paul's whole attitude. But many people have all of the theology uh, in their own basic uh, mind that, that, is more, that, uh, that is more Pauline than, than it would be the teachings uh, that we understand to be of Jesus. So out of Paul's perception then, um, Paul, Paul talked about the concept of grace and um, gave his own twist to it. He, uh, uh, he was a spin doctor way back when uh, in, uh, in many aspects. And uh, hey, that was not bad, you know. He did the best he knew how to do. And through him, Christianity really took a foothold and spread. Without Paul, probably nothing that we know today would be as we know it today. So again, let's look at the next slide. Understand a little bit of the chronology. Paul's letters um, uh, were, 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 were written about 52 to 66 um, of the common era, or used to be called AD. Uh, so that frame of reference is when he wrote his letters. And the Gospels, the Gospels were written between 65-ish and 90 CE or AD. So you can see the interesting um, uh, thing that this brings up as far as who had what to read about and who had what to draw upon. The next slide, um, th this, is, this is my own thinking. I hold that most of Paul's letters, most, some at least, were available to the writers of the Gospels, that they knew that something uh, of, of like, like Mark was the, first, was the first Gospel written. And so, then, and then Matthew, and then, and anyway. So uh, they were probably behind much of what the Gospels were drawing upon as well. And the next slide, the scripture that was read this morning, and it was, um, but truth and grace came into being through Jesus Christ. Okay, now let's get into unity and metaphysics so that we can understand more of what we are saying. Uh, Jesus was understood to be by Paul, he was understood to be the exception, the only begotten son. 
for God so loved, etc., etc., and not as we see and understand the life and teachings of ministry and Jesus to be the example of what is available to be, do, and have for each and every person. So Paul's concept of grace then fit right into the gospel writer's efforts, that here we have the, the exception, and it is then uh, from um, the existence of this only begotten son who um, went through the whole process of life and crucifixion and uh, the salvation of mankind and what have you, then it is only through that, it is only through that that God now then has some aspect of grace to a willingness to save sinners, a willingness to give something that is undeserved or things of that nature. So based upon that then, we go to the next slide and we would say that grace, unity's understanding of it, cannot really, uh, this concept cannot really exist without a solid foundation of who and what God is in our best understanding within the mystery that we think that still is God, but who and what God is and a solid understanding of man and woman. So the next slide, then it says, so by Jesus Christ means what? It means simply the awareness of God, which he knew, which he taught, and which is available to each and to all. It wasn't through anything that then had to filter through um, uh, a word or a thought or, or perhaps an argument made on your behalf uh, by your elder brother. Uh, it isn't that, but remember, as we often say, what we are talking about is God in you, through you, and as you. Um, you are not an appendage to the essence of pure being. You are an expression of it, unique, individualized, as you are right now. But there isn't this essence that is out there, but it is in you, through you, and as you. You know, uh, the, the affirmation, I am in the presence of pure being. We, we wrote that. I am the presence of pure being, and you are that very essence of God. So if you remember then that this wonderful uh, energy that says by Jesus Christ, it means the energy that he understood, that he taught was omnipresent, that he said in essence, these things that I do, these things that I have, these things that I know, I'm paraphrasing, these things that I express, they're all capable for you to do because you have that same essence of who and what I am, you have that same essence in you, through you, and as you. So the next slide then says that nothing in the kingdom is unmerited or undeserved. Nothing is unmerited or undeserved. You are the most worthy expression of the energy that is God that ever could be, that ever has been. If you weren't that, then it would mean that God, and watch my words now because uh, it's difficult to speak about the infinite and still use verbiage, but if that were the case, then God would be withholding from its very own self. If you are God in you, through you, and as you, 
and you are undeserving, then that would be God thinking, God being, God expressing a willingness to also understand that that very essence is undeserving. So um, you, nothing, nothing is, uh, is unmerited to you in the kingdom. Um, you, 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 don't have to, you don't have to do anything to merit a blessing. You don't have to do anything to express something that is above what you think you have earned in life. And you do not have to realize something less in order for you to realize something more. So these, 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 this, was not, this was not understood uh, back when this was written. So uh, these words were used, as we said, because this is how they thought of themselves. And it, it has taken a long time for the thought to have a broader base. There have always been points of light in, in, in life of men and women who realize their God self, their good self. But it took a long, it's taken a long time to have a broader base of the realization of what we are talking about this morning. But one within new thought and other areas and uh, certainly, certainly does exist. So uh, the, the next slide, um, it says the words unmerited and undeserving are not in the vocabulary of one who knows and knows that he knows, she knows, and knows that they know. And that's you, isn't it? You're not an undeserving wretch, are you? Anybody, anybody want to be the wretch of the month? No, no, you're not that. You are an extremely, and again, even this nibbles at, at the definition, and it isn't adequate because it can't completely, words cannot capture the wholeness of it. But you are as deserving and as meriting as the very essence of God would claim to be for itself. If you claim to be unworthy, you are trying to put that concept in consciousness upon the real God image that you are. And you know something? You can do that. You can place it on there temporarily, and then you can act as if that it is there, and then go through all, all, all of the, uh, you know, all of the contortions of realizing what this would be true and why I am all of this. And then the, 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 the world, uh, uh, the law under which we live, uh, it does something very interesting. It says, if this is who you claim to be, then let me vector more of that into your life so you can enjoy it. And you won't, but you can do it for a while. And that's not what you're here to talk about this morning or do or leave here to say I'm going to do that. I am an unlimited, worthy, deserving expression. That's who you are. And then the last one there, God's willingness to save sinners. Well, you know, the scripture that can be thrown at you, all have sinned and fallen short of of, of of the glory of God. Well, that was in their fabric of what they understood at the point in time. And their concept of sin, of course, was something that impacted uh, the essence of we, that we call God 
it was a, you know, it was a catastrophic no-no somehow. And that really sets you up then for, for failure. But you are not that. Have you, made, have you made choices that you won't make again? Of course. But that's not a sin. That's just another name for this process. You have, um, in a God sense, as it has been used in the scripture, you have never sinned. And how can you, be, how can you fall short of the glory that you are, in essence, in the, in the, um, in the, in the core truth of the God reality that you image, that you express, and that you, that you, uh, 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 that you talk and say and be. So uh, then, uh, uh, it's what about such words as, you know, there but for the go I, right? Have you ever said that? Have you ever heard it? You know, or. Or, you know, or what about um, my house? My house was, was not burned down by the grace of God and the person next to me was. Well, you know, dissect that one a little bit and what is it saying? You know? No, okay. Let's use another word if you, if you want to. It isn't by the grace of God, there, there, you know, there go I. Or it isn't the... the the, the, the house next to me uh, was obliterated, and, 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 and by the grace of God, my house wasn't. I mean, that really goes back to an anthropomorphic God, doesn't it? That goes back to a God of judgment and all kinds of words along this line. So use another word, you know? There, there but for consciousness go I. Your life is your consciousness. And uh, there is no outside of you that is pronouncing something that you don't deserve. But remember, as I said, we can place anything upon this fabric of who we think we are, even if it doesn't have spiritual truth to it. But there, but for my consciousness go I. And so that's a good thing. Now, does that mean that the person who is in the house next to you then is that dirty, dastardly, uh, uh, you know, thought of uh, anything but God person. No, it doesn't mean that at all. But it still is an understanding. Don't go there. You can't walk in anybody else's shoes and make a pronouncement upon them. The only thing you can do if you want to do it at that point in time is simply realize the law of grace called now consciousness is at work in your life. And you can be there and focus in that and you can walk that path of all that is good. But you walk it the better as you claim who you are. And as you remember the God self, the good self, that is always at the core of your being. And as you remember that you are never held in anything other than the pure light of the essence of the one presence, one power. And you can't mess that up. Uh, and that's who and what you are. So by God's grace, by consciousness, you are here today.